When Arsenal knocks on the door of players, it's a different knock than other clubs. Clubs, clubs, clubs. The Different Knock, an Arsenal podcast. This new contract here at Arsenal, but what made you so sure that this was the best place and this was the right decision for you? It's Arsenal, you know. Come on, it's Arsenal. Hello, and welcome back to the greatest podcast in the history of podcasts, an Arsenal podcast with Alexander Moneypenny and my very good friend, George V. George V, hello, sir. Uh, I'm very excited for today because uh, George and I were having a chat post uh, last podcast or at some point uh, in one of our chat sessions <laughs> don't know what i'm talking about we were having a conversation let me just put that in a normal way george and i were having a conversation and we were saying um that we would love to get on here and break down some of the young players coming through at arsenal at the moment in the academy um so we've selected 10 by age group we're going to go through and george is going to tell us all about them all about every single um, player in terms of the uh, the talent level, in terms of the abilities, in terms of what we should be looking out for, what the um, just yeah, just all, all about those sorts of players. Um, and I'm super excited because you you know these guys, you know the academy very well. You watch a lot of academy, um, which we'll discuss in a second. But before we do that, how are you? Are you enjoying the international break? Because I'm not. Uh, I want to second that. I just put out kind of a post. I feel as though it gives license for the crazies to be quiet and the normal people to become crazies when it's the international break. I hate the <laughs> timeline. It is constant comparisons of legends. It's constant comparisons of players and constant tearing down of people with very good seasons as being shit. And that's kind of what you get in the, uh, in the breaks with international football when you can't discuss your club day to day. You have to describe these tribal um, arguments that I find super redundant and lacking nuance and that's my favorite place of course so um, no I do not like the international break but otherwise I'm doing great I'm ready to attack this and I am excited for this you know um, I do have a little bit of a reputation for the youngsters and the youth quote-unquote and it's it's something I am passionate about you know uh, beyond that and and I love youth development and um Probably one of the best things to preface this pod is that no youth's journey is going to be linear and every journey is going to be unique. And uh, no matter what we talk about in terms of these projections, you can never be sure, you can never be concrete, and the most unlikeliest stories come from both late bloomers, early bloomers, and everything in between. There really is a story for every youth um, that I think uh, creates an impact in your career. You could have a Chuba Akpom where many people, I think, would have, even if you didn't know the Academy well, heard of Chuba Akpom when he was a youngster. And only now is he realizing his potential. Um, and then you've got the uh, superstars that we'll talk about, the two 16-year-olds that everyone's really excited about, but your Fabregas-like stories or your Bakayo Saka-like stories. And then you have your Emil Smith-Rowe, which we were kind of talking off-air, like who is somebody that maybe doesn't strike the Alex Awobi mold of maybe just is good, but isn't a superstar at youth, but then turns out to be an extremely effective first-team player before some of the superstars. So there's, it's something I love. I, I love that journey. I love talking about it. What makes kids click is going to be a horrible way to clip me, but it is something that I love to talk about. 
No, but you're right, and I think it's an important thing to. to yeah, that's getting clipped off. Um, it's 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 a really important thing to talk about because you know ultimately I'm always keen to talk about footballers like they're humans, but occasionally you don't, and I think it is especially key to talk about a youth level because these guys are so young. They're such like they're young men ultimately, and they are being thrust into the spotlight in an unbelievable way. Um, it's the business they're in. It's it's the it's the path they've chosen to some degree, or perhaps not in some cases. Um, but you know, sort of, you know. So I think, yeah, I want to approach this with the utmost care. And I think you're right to say everyone's going to have a different journey. I don't think there's any desire here to um, shoot anyone down or overpraise anyone or whatever. But it's really exciting to to have a look at what's coming through and see and see if any of these guys can help Arsenal um, from on a football perspective so that's yeah it's really exciting um in terms of this how this is going to work we're going to go through age down so we'll start uh the oldest player that we're looking at out of the 10 who is arthur conquo who's at 21 and we'll get down to marzo skelly and nuaneri who are uh, just turned 16 at the end so uh george will lead it i will ask questions I will also be watching comps as we go along because I know I know the players I've seen them, but yeah, um, but yeah. So I I will be I'll be watching along while George gives you the actual expert advice, and I'll be going. Oh, they they can kick a ball well. So let's start with twenty-one-year-old Arthur Aconquo, someone who I suppose Arsenal fans are fairly familiar with. He played against Rangers, I believe, in pre-season. Was it last season, possibly? He's gone out on loan to Crew Crew Alexandra. Again, I'm doing a lot of question marks at the end of my sentence because I'm not 100% sure, so please correct me if I'm if I'm wrong. Um, rated at the club, what do we know about Okonkwo sort of more widely and then uh, what's he like on the pitch? So I think Arthur Okonkwo is a player that many people knew very early and then personal issues took him out of action. Uh, for over a year that I don't know many people know, and this is what stopped his development quite a bit. And I think people have looked at his preseason and judged him uh, for being a super young keeper and probably uh, not being able to play for the first team uh, because he's been very nervous and, you know, he didn't have the greatest of appearances in an Arsenal shirt from a first team level. But from a prospect perspective, this is a boy that had every big club absolutely freaking out because of the potential. Um, so we'll start off with kind of who he is, and he's a very quiet character, uh, but he is somebody that is kind of ahead of his age group, or at the time at least, um, when he was a 17-year-old goalkeeper, the likes of Dortmund, Chelsea, everybody were vying for his signature when we had to offer scholarship terms, and it was because we had this weird gem of a giant that could play with the ball at his feet, sound like something that might be useful going forward, and you won't notice this. How tall is he? Because he is massive. <laughs> He he is 1.98 meters, um, which is uh, uh, really really uh, really big. Six five. Um, you know, yeah. uh, yes, he is. He is six five. He is in that kind of uh, intimidation mode, and I think he's a little bit skinny. But once he grows out and he becomes a man, he will fill up that goal, and that is something that is absolutely frightening when you clock into how quickly he can get to the ground. Uh, typically, when I find keepers that kind of lanky or tall, uh, I always look, or do they have the athletic prowess to still seem agile, to still seem like they can cover the corners of the goal as opposed to relying on their frame. And this is something that, you know, Arthur Conquo has in spades. He's an extremely agile keeper. Um, it's why he's actually got an excellent record from the spot. And when you talk about him going to crew, that was a great observation. He did. He did so well at crew. He ended up going to another team, um, SK Sturmgras. Um, 
where he has kind of their first choice goalkeeper. And right now they're kind of wanting to extend his current loan beyond that. Um, and it's, it's an Austrian team, again, a slightly increase in terms of crew Alexander, where he was, where he did phenomenal and he was taking clean sheets and doing a very good job on loan. But I think the year outside of football for personal reasons really hurt his trajectory, his uh, perception, uh, but not his talent for me. He is still one of the better talented keepers that we have at the club for his combination of a physical frame, his ability to command an area, but also his distribution is excellent. Um, he has a very good uh, kind of receive receiving of the ball. He's able to really be calm under pressure, which again, this is going to seem very odd if you had looked at his debuts in the first team because he didn't seem that way. Uh, but, you know, he is somebody that had just come in to like a really big limelight and had just come back from a, a year off. Uh, but I think he is a keeper that Arsenal are playing the long game with. Being 21, he's the oldest prospect, but probably the youngest in terms of what you might expect for that age. We all know goalkeepers uh, kind of uh, age a lot farther down to their prime, more towards late 30s. So a 21-year-old kind of goalkeeper is truly a baby. It's almost the equivalent of a 16-year-old midfield prospect uh, when you're talking about kind of uh, player primes and when they reach that. Um, the one thing with Arthur Conquo that I do worry about is uh, he is a quiet boy. He isn't somebody that's brazen. Um, and so that also kind of comes out a little bit in his goalkeeping. He can be a bit timid in terms of some of his actions sometimes. Um, but if you kind of have him rely on his athletic ability and you ask him to rely on his instincts, he's probably one of the most natural goalkeepers that we have in that aspect. So um, he is definitely an inexperienced prospect, but somebody that um, has the ability to really make an impact on the first team. And I think take over from Matt Turner after a year or two of really going through the loan system, Ala Saliba, where he can slowly work his way back up to that 17-year-old prospect uh, kind of a perception again because he's doing it on loan. If you do go back and you look right now, um, Alexander Crew loved him. They wanted him, and we actually thought he was too good for that level again, and we kind of took him up a level in terms of putting him in the Austrian League. So we he is meeting each obstacle at this point in time. Um, he's becoming a lot more confident, I think, recovering some of that early uh, prospect form that um, you know was, was really exciting people when he first broke on the scene, but got kind of sadly interrupted from personal reasons and again it was it was through a family tragedy it wasn't through a fault of his own but he kind of took himself out of football for over a year which at the age of 18 is huge not just for a goalkeeper but just huge for any developmental purposes so it really does take a while to get back to your level at that point i don't find assessing goalkeepers very easy um, because I think it's quite a difficult thing. I think, especially because it's like, what have we got available? Okay, we got YouTube compilations, we got whatever. I think goalkeepers more than anyone else are people you got to measure over weeks and seasons and all that sort of stuff. I think goalkeepers, you know, you can sort of when a midfielder pick, picks up the ball, you can tell if they got techers or not. But with a goalkeeper, it does. I feel like it takes a little bit longer. Um, Conquo, in terms of the level he's at right now, I, I just looked up Sturm Graz. They're second in the Australian Bundesliga, three points behind RB Salzburg, who have been in the Champions League this season. So it's a really, really good level. As much as we think, you know, okay, our Austrian Bundesliga, they're competing with Champions League side. So he's he's already at a really, really good level. Uh, two questions. How do you see him developing? Do you see it being at Arsenal? Do you see it him going out on loan again? Um, and I'm aware he has a brother. And is he any good... And should we be excited about him either as well? Possibly. No. 
his his brother is going to follow into his older brother's shoes. I I think Arthur for me has the more exciting attributes and also the just the greater um, body of work. I, I think his his brother is at a point where he is so young that it's very difficult, and he is in with a conglomerate of goalkeepers. That by the way, the the goalkeeper position at Arsenal from an academy perspective is quite possibly the most condensed position. Um, so he is going to find it very difficult to break through if he can because there is quite a few. Um, you know, uh, U23, but even U18 and U16 goalkeepers um, that, that are on the way up. You know, Ajiri is another young uh, goalkeeper that is absolutely phenomenal with the ball at his feet, um, that isn't quite as big as Arthur Okonkwo, but is certainly superior with his distribution that people will get very excited about, very much an Andre Onana type. And I think his younger brother will find it tough to break free because we have some serious goalkeeping talents at the club. Uh, but in terms of answering your question, I, I, he is at an extremely high level um, in terms of that Austrian league. And, you know, you talk about it being second. Um, you know, right now they also want him to agree to come back on loan uh, for the next year. And so I do feel that a loan is what, you know, Arthur Oconquo needs for the next at least year or two until he's about 23, where he then can come back into preseason and make a claim for kind of the second spot. Um, but he is going to be at a team right now that is challenging for the league in their division, which, as you said, is against RB Salzburg, which is no mean slouch. And I and I think that will be a testament to his ability. Um, but also the fact that he's come in on loan to be their first choice goalkeeper. Uh, goalkeeping is not a spot that you give up. It is something typically that you make a choice at the beginning of the season, and it is yours to do that and make that impression on a fairly important league, by the way, in a, in a title race, which he is, um, is, I think, uh, speaking to his talent um, and also his mentality. He is definitely somebody, I think, for me, I'd like to see get a bit more brazen. I think he is such a big frame, he doesn't use it. Gentle Giant comes to mind a little bit. I need him to get mean. And I don't mean this facetiously. It's just I want him to be a bit more aggressive in some of his actions. I think that's a, an area of weakness for Arthur Okonkwo, that he needs to believe his talent again and learn to love his football because um, that is something that of late he struggled to show, but he's coming back and really showing that talent between crew and now. Um, so it is definitely something that is probably a needs to improve. But in terms of some of his actual attributes, his instincts are some of the best that we have in the goalkeeping uh, department right now in terms of youth prospects. His instincts to know uh, when to go down, when to go far, and of course his ability off of a penalty spot is actually phenomenal. He's got phenomenal shot-stopping instincts, but then in terms of his distribution, he makes the correct decision when pressed. He, he is very calm, typically under pressure, and he doesn't try to be extravagant. But I do think if we want him to take the next level as well, just need him to get a little bit more aggressive in his actions in general. Okay, let's move on to the 19-year-old uh, group. Then we don't have any 20-year-olds. We have In this group, we have Patino, Norton Cuffey, Kaon Edwards, and Zach Orr. Um, I wanted to start with Kaon Edwards. Talk to me about Kaon Edwards. He's a name I've heard. Uh, he's a name that um, you know is, is, is interesting, but also feels like sort of one of many in that kind of forward area, uh, number nine, possibly can play out wide type guys in that sort of group. What makes him interesting or stand out to you? Uh, so another one that is going to have a longer layoff. He had a pretty serious injury this year, and he's just getting back, literally just now, back into the team. Um, and, you know, this season was almost a write-off in terms of his development because he's been injured for most of the season. Um, but in terms of his ceiling, he 
is another incredible complete nine. You know, Halen just keep churning out other, um, you know, nine prospects, let's say. And and there's a way to describe Kayon Edwards for me where I, I feel he is probably one of the most physical strikers that we have produced. And that's a big statement to make when you have a look at Eddie Nketiah in terms of what he's developed. But what you saw from Eddie Nketiah in the academy was more of a poaching role. Um, and he developed into this very physical outlet nine Kayon Edwards is that from the get-go. He is somebody that is going to move people. He will move center backs with his presence. And you might be confused because he doesn't strike you as the most tallest uh, number nine. He isn't short, but he is kind of in that Flo Balligan, Eddie, and Kedia range. He's not a monster, but the way he uses his body is that of a 6'3 kind of striker. He's very physical. He will move strikers, and he will turn you. Um, he, he is not somebody that I think is uh, a la Ivan Tony that will turn and face play. He is more of that outlet that spins into channels. He definitely has excellent ability in tight spaces, and he's a ruthless furnish, finisher. Uh, I do find him very much a combination of Eddie Nketiah and Flarian Balligan. If you could combine the two play styles, you would get Kayon Edwards, which, by the way, is high praise, and it's quite an exciting prospect. Um, in, in terms of what he needs to work on, though, is he does need to work on when he does drop deep into midfield in terms of turning and facing the play, making the correct decision with the pass as well as his engagement in the press can be something that he struggles with. But in terms of pure physical power, explosion in the first five yards, and then ruthless finishing, you're getting that in terms of a K on Edwards. And in terms of a player comparison of how I can maybe describe him, he's such an excellent dribbler. Um, he really reminds me of Armanda Broja in terms of a profile of striker that you're going to get, a real channel runner that has excellent close control, but it's a ruthless finisher with quite a few variety of finishes to his locker. Um, but again, that physical kind of powerhouse that he will move you, like I always feel he's in that Diogo Costa line of striker like Broja, who is just a physical beast that will move you, but is also a very cute dribbler. Um, so that's the kind of profile that you're getting with Kayon. Um, and again, I think in order to really see those improvements in his game, we need to see a bit more creativity and engagement off the ball in the press and an appreciation for uh, defending from the front. Um, it's definitely something that he could work on. I'm doing some, some of my YouTube scouting um, and, uh, and listening to you. And uh, yeah, you're, you're, you're sounding pretty, uh, pretty bang on, obviously. Um, he tends to favor the left. Is that fair to say? I've seen a lot of him off the left, moving to the left. That could just be uh, the highlights, but is that fair? Yeah, I, I think it's fair. He he will drift to the right in the channels, but he has a bit of that Eddie and Kedia drifting tendency to the left. Uh, like I would describe Eddie as somebody who could play both channels, but he likes the left uh, because he likes to curl and he likes to attack with that kind of right foot dominant uh, finish, really. Um, he he yeah. loves that kind of far post finish. Seems quite physically developed as well. As you say, he is sort of shoving defenders off the ball in, in quite a, a mercenary fashion. And I think there is something to that kind of, I don't want to say old school, but a kind of striker who just is kind of dominant and will 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 shove you out the way, as you put it, to score that goal. And I think there's something quite nice about that as a sort of, nah, this is my ball. Um, do we know anything about him as a sort of character or? Well, yeah, like, look, he is a very determined, confident boy. 
like just that you would imagine that a really high goal scorer um, could be. You know, uh, cocky is potentially the wrong word, but I wouldn't. It wouldn't stray far from there. Like when you talk, look at him in interviews. He is somebody that wants you to know he's the man. And and I'll be honest, in every other position, I hate that player. But in striker, I love that. You, you need, need a bit of arrogance yeah, about nice. you. Yeah, and, and so he does have that. Uh, but again, we've talked about him being such a physical presence, but people will be shocked to know that he's not the tallest boy. And so this is probably one of the biggest interesting pieces about Kayon Edwards is that when you have a look at him, you wouldn't think he's the Diogo Costa, but he really is um, in terms of his play style. Um, he's only like 1.8 meters. You know, that's not very tall. He's probably just cracking six foot, if that. More along the lines of 5'11". Yeah, tiny. You know, 5'10". Yeah, tiny. Yeah, we could all use a bit of that. Uh, <laughs> says the man who's barely 5'8". Um, but, um, you know, he, uh, he, he he is that kind of um, arrogant, I would say, kind of striker. Um, he, he, he doesn't... Um, I, I don't think he's difficult to coach. I don't think he's got an attitude in that sense. But he certainly plays and demands in terms of his interviews. Like, yeah, I scored the goal, and you know what? I'm going to go get a hat trick the next game. And, and, I, and I do like that in my strikers. Uh, again, I do think he has to develop his creativity, and part of that is because he's so hardwired to be a killer. He can struggle to look up at times, and he does have the ability, I think, um, to, to kind of bank on his physicality maybe a bit too much as some player do at this level by the way like I think he's so physically dominant that he hasn't had to display the technical skills as much because he dominates his youth and his peers physically so much so that could be an area of development let's say in tight spaces that he might have to do as he transitions to kind of adult football when he realizes that he can't move people in the same ease that he does at youth football but I think that's always going to be a part of his game he's going to be that aggressive physical striker that moves you um, as he adjusts to play, uh, he just maybe needs to find cuteness in the final third, but you're looking at a complete nine profile. And again, big praise, but he is really the combination of Valerian Balogun and Eddie in terms of what they both love doing, um, being an outlet in terms of the Eddie point and channel running, but also in terms of the Balogun point where he can kind of hold people off and turn and spin you and really explode into face into space, sorry, and be a ruthless finisher. He's really got that about him. Last word on Kaon. Where do you see his development going? Do you see him making some appearances in the Europa League next season? Do you see him going out on loan? Do you see him maybe getting a chance in pre-season? What do you think? What's your prediction on that? So uh, I think not a critique on Kaon's ability, but uh, because he lost a year of development this year through injury, uh, he really lost an ability to take that next step. I think he's looking at a loan. He is far too good for the U21s. Um, we've needed a striker, by the way, for the U21s because we've struggled with that one. Um, but uh, I, I think that his next step is probably a championship loan. Um, he is ready for that. I don't think he needs a League One. Um, I, I would put him in the championship. I would keep him in England um, because right now I still think that he's going to be working himself back from injury. So I don't think I would consider him as part of the first team quite yet. And... I probably would have if you asked me this question last summer, mate, but that was assuming he played this year of, of kind of still taking the next step. And since he was kind of robbed of that with injury, I still think he needs that loan uh, to reintegrate himself back, really. So probably a championship loan for him. Okay, fine. We'll talk about him. Charlie Patino. Come on, then. What? <laughs> He's not very why good. Why is there? Um, 
<laughs> Why is there the hype about this man? Do you think it's valuable? Uh, so do you think he's valuable? Do you think he's worth the hype? Um, and how close do you think he is, I suppose, is the big question to the first team. Mm. So there is a lot of hype with Charlie Patino. Um, and I, I'd say the hype is because of his intelligence in the game, I would say. There's been a lot of comparisons to Jack Wilshire. I don't think that's fair. I'll be quite honest. I, I think that they have very similar football intelligence. But Jack, for me, was a lot more explosive in the first five yards when he was coming up. Charlie is more methodical in terms of his ability to control play. He is a tempo controller. He is in that kind of controlling midfield vibe. He's he's developed a big frame now. He is 6'1". He's a big boy. He's not a small boy. And he has played a variety of roles. But um, for me, he's got these really long legs. And he has worked a lot on his duels. I think in terms of his loan at Blackpool, like people will reference him having quite high interception and dueling numbers, but that's actually a weakness of Charlie's. I think he's doing it because of the role that he's been asked at Blackpool, so he's engaging in those scenarios a bit more. He can work on his ability in duels, especially in transition. Um, that's where his one weakness could be, let's say. But in terms of on the ball, you're not going to... You're not going to teach anything to Charlie Patino that he doesn't want to do. He's one of those players that can control the tempo of play purely by his own play. And, you know, he plays at his own tune. He can kind of speed the game up, speed the game down. Um, and he's got a beautiful passing range, um, you know. And, and he's got, he's kind of one of those players that you think has an extra second or two more than everybody else on the pitch. He is that kind of player. Um, and, and one thing that I've always loved about Charlie Patino is how frequently he scans um, his surroundings. It's why I think he gets that extra time on the ball because he's constantly moving. He's got a head really on a swivel. Um, in terms of where do I see him best, he is kind of that 6'8 profile of player. Um, I do think his ability to kind of meet markers, he's very head-on, but I wouldn't say he is as quick as the Jack Wilshire. I think that comparison is a little bit, um, disingenuous is the wrong word, but it may lead to the wrong conclusion. I don't think he's as quick in the first five yards as Jack. I do think he's more technical and methodical than Jack, if that if that can be the case. I think Jack relied a lot on instinct, whereas Charlie knows what he wants to do, and he's very intentional about what he would like to do. Um, and so uh, I really do see him as a function, as an eight for us, a more defensive eight, if that could be, but he controls the game through possession. Mikel will love his profile because I think he will give you what Jorginho does without being fearful of the transitions that you are with a Jorginho. Uh, but that is the type of, of player you're looking at. In terms of a player comparison, um, I've used a little bit of an older one, if anybody remembers the old Argentine, uh, Requelm. Um, he reminds me of Raquel so much. And again, I may be going back into some serious old school football knowledge if you guys don't know who Raquelm is. Uh, but he, he strikes me as that type of footballer um, where you're, you're going to have a controlling all-phase midfielder who is diligent in his attacking, in his defensive numbers, but he's going to run a game um, through him uh, and he's going to set the tempo of the attack. Wow. Yeah, I'm having a look at him now. Um 
it's it's difficult to, to necessarily say. I, su- I suppose what I do with young players is, is is I have a look at our system and I go, where do I see them? Can I see them dropping in in the kind of the the Jaka role if they're a striker? Can I see them doing the Jesus role? And maybe that's not fair because players are going to play differently. They're going to have different strengths and weaknesses, and they're going to play each position differently. And 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 obviously the system itself will adapt to to the different profiles that are going on. We don't play exactly the same with Jorginho that we do with Partey, so maybe that's not fair. But I am looking at him and seeing a six in that he's picking up off the the first line and he's playing forward a lot and he's got that passing range and appears to have the kind of defensive abilities. Is that off the mark? You said he's more of an eight. For me, I prefer him uh, to kind of have that freedom because I feel at six, what you're not doing is allowing him to express that true controlling the game territory in all phases because I do think that Charlie is excellent in the final third as well. I mean, he's got instincts to go forward and score a goal. So I think um, he can be a six. um, But uh, for me, uh, I I do think that you're going to have a bit of the fear in terms of his ability to meet markers horizontally. And especially when you start to consider what, you know, we're assuming that Mikel Arteta wants to keep this 1v1 off the ball press that we do with Partey and, and so on and so forth. And I do fear... Charlie isn't that quick across the ball in the first five yards. He is quick in longer distances, for sure. Um, And he's not slow, but he has not got that explosion in the first five yards, which I fear when you put somebody like that to anchor at six, they've got to have if you're going to go 1v1 in an off-the-ball press. That's my only thing. So I feel as though by putting him at eight, you kind of negate that responsibility and you let him roam. And you don't task him, really, with that defensive burden and he can be a second ball Hoover, very much in the same role that, you know, Granite Shaka is, but with a lot more technique in the pockets, a lot more ability to turn on a dime. And I think that you give him an ability to express himself much in the same way a Frankie de Jong could play at six. Do you want him there? Not everybody would. They probably would want him at eight so that he gets more freedom. I see Patino in a similar light. I don't think he's quite Frankie de Jong in profile again. I think he's more Raquelm. Uh, but he is similar in that conclusion where, sure, he can play six, but if you want to really see the most of him, I see him a bit more as an eight, personally. Okay, thinking about how he'd slot into what we do at the moment and thinking thinking forward, uh, Patino is obviously someone who a lot of people say is is you know on the cusp of the first team. We've seen him in the, uh, mm-hmm. was it the Carabao Cup last year before he went out on loan, uh, even yep. scored a goal for Arsenal. So, you know, there's, there's clearly a willingness to see him see him play first team football for Arsenal. I don't think I don't think there's any doubt there. How would you? This is a slightly different question from how you see him developing. How would you use him next season as Arteta? So would you? Uh, and, and maybe if you send him out on loan, then what would you do with that loan? And if you if you keep him around, how would you involve him? Would he play Champions League minutes? Would he play cup minutes? And where would you play him in in this system? It sounds like a sort of slightly as a as a as a jacker replacement or not necessarily placement in terms of squad role but replacement in terms of on the pitch yes yeah, so i i think he could do two roles uh definitely the zinchenko role springs to mind as something that you know would be perfect for charlie um and actually give you a bit more uh, defensive solidity from that standpoint i think you're getting a controller in that sense uh, people might be confused george are you Start, saying he's starting a left, a left back? not starting a left back but you mean you mean just playing in those zones 
in those zones. Because, look, uh, Zinchenko, we know he is at left back, but really he's not. He's in midfield next to Thomas Partey. And if you're looking for a two kind of in that 3-2 or the 2-3 of our build-up, he strikes me as the perfect balancer kind of next to a, a big destroyer. He really could be that um, kind of player. Now, alternatively, he absolutely could play in higher pockets, which is why I kind of mentioned the Shaka zone, because it really comes down to his hip mobility and his technique when receiving the ball on the half turn, which is just incredible. And he's got this excellent kind of ball striking technique that he's got the perfect power and backspin to play it over the top, which again, could work deeper or in higher areas. So for me, he is kind of that um, secondary uh, midfield player. He works best if you've got somebody defending for him, but he's a pivot player, let's say. Um, again, a 6'8". He's got qualities that can excel in both. Um, but right now, I could see him in both the Zinchenko role, but as well as the Shaka role. In terms of what I would do with him, though, I think he's made great strides at points this season. I don't think that he's um, he, he's ready for necessarily minutes in the first team. I would probably have another season, but instead of the championship, I do think I would put him to a lower level Premier League team uh, for me, just to have him cook a bit more, so to speak. Something like a Brighton would be phenomenal, somebody that focuses on build-up so much like Deserby, and I think Deserby would love him um, in terms of controlling the build-up, and he'd get an idea of being put, by the way, in pressure zones, because I think Charlie Patino, you never worry that you're going to lose the ball with him, but one thing that I think Deserby does fairly well is that he he requires his anchor to really be diligent off the ball and that is something that I do think that Charlie Patino has to work on in terms of closing markers and short distances that's something that you know could really benefit him so if you're looking at either a Brighton a Southampton even so teams that definitely would like to build out I just don't know if Southampton will stay here um, in the league. So I, I do say Brighton because I think that's a great team. He would even get Europe as well. So it's not even a lower-level EPL team. But I do think Deserby would be phenomenal for Charlie Patino just because he's the exact type of player that you know Deserby would love um, in terms of that controlling, uh, tempo-setting midfielder um, that has a bit of defensive grit about them. And he, he's big. He's a big boy. He's 6'1". He's not a small man. So um, yep. that, that's developing too. Yeah. And uh, he deserves a uh, Premier League loan. Uh, sorry, I had to. Had to. Um, I think uh, something I listened to a podcast a little while ago, uh, it was, I think it was Georgie Bird. Is that how you say his name? George Bird. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he did a, a, a sort of youth youth scouting thing and he talks about Charlie Pitino. And something that came up was his kind of physicality. It's like the, the question has never been over his technique. The question has never been over whether this guy could play football. It's just been, can he put on those man muscles? And looking at him, you know, just from a, from an aesthetic perspective, you can see he is starting to to, to grow into a sort of a, a, a more masculine, a more dominant frame. Um, so uh, not not saying masculine and dominant are the same thing, but you know what I mean. A more sort of um, a, a physically imposing frame, imposing. So, yeah, yes. exactly. So I think. Um, yeah, I, I I can see him. I can see him playing in the league. You know, I'm trying to basically. I'm just trying to think of reasons why he couldn't play in the Premier League. And I think, well, he's shown at, at his level at Blackpool. He's shown he can he can do it in the Championship. Some people say the Championship Championship is even more physical. And as you say, with a coach who is um, focused on build up, I think he could have a really a really great role somewhere. If not, do you see him going abroad? Could that could that work as well? No, because I think his best. Um 
weaknesses are physical, like we just mentioned, and also the ability to really meet markers in that first five yards. And I do feel English football, there's no better pressure cooker than that for uh, teams that are going to hit you in the first five yards. Like I think what he needs to learn or he can improve on is best suited in the league or in English football leagues, whether that's the championship or whether that is uh, kind of the Premier League level. And I do think he's ready. He's got that technique um, to do it. Uh, So for me, Premier League, keep him in the English League. Um, There's going to be other youngsters that we're going to talk about that maybe have the opposite problem and maybe would benefit from a more technical league, but Charlie isn't one of them. Yep, yep. Uh, Let's move on. Let's move on to Brooke Norton Cuffey. Um, Another sort of, I suppose, heavily spoken about young player. Um, He's been out to two championship clubs this, this year, is it? Was it, is it like, it was like mm-hmm. yep. Rochdale and Rotherham else? and Coventry. Rotherham, that's it. That's why you, that's why you're the expert. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> Rotherham and Coventry has, uh, did 20 appearances on loan for Rotherham and has now done 13 for, for Coventry so far this season. Um, how's he done and how do you rate him? Um, he hasn't done great in the loans. Uh, I rate him very highly. Um, this could be uh, something where... Uh, I feel that you've got a very imposing uh, physical profile right here. Brooke Norton Cuffey is in your Reese James type of uh, fullback. He is an extremely imposing fullback in duels. Um, He's an extremely big boy. He has got one of the more exciting uh, physical attributes um, in the youngsters that we've talked about. Uh, he, He moves people himself from right back, but he's got an excellent ability to both underlap and overlap and really provide a thrust. He scored a beautiful goal for the U19s just over the break right now where he just holds off his defender, spins, breaks into midfield, and he is a player that takes um, and breaks uh, structures, really, with him. Uh, But he has a technical inconsistency to his game. And so uh, there are times that Brooke uh, does the basics wrong, and he does uh, the extravagant very well and consistently. Now, some might argue that's that's a con, and it is. It's something that he's got to work on. I feel he does have this tendency to feel maybe he's above the play. And the reason I say that is because there's times when he's really struggling to do the very basics uh, in a game, but then he'll whip out probably the most impressive cross that you've ever seen or a big mazy run that decides the game 1-0. And so he needs to go to a team where I feel that he he himself feels challenged, and again, that's why I think I would keep him in a more physical league, whether that's here still in the championship, but also maybe even a lower level Premier League team again. I do think he's physically ready for that, but he needs to improve on his technique a bit more. So uh, in terms of maybe somebody who would be very good for him is maybe a Fulham, by the way, like a, a Premier League like that, somebody that likes to use kind of their fullbacks well. Um, you know, I think he could form an, an amazing partnership with, you know, Kenny Tede uh, opposite. And, you know, when you have a look at what type of fullback and what they like to play, Fulham love their overlapping fullbacks in that sense. So I think get him in a team that does that. Um, but he does need to learn to, to be a bit more consistent with his technique. The, the one thing with Brooke um, that I think you're going to get, though, is you've got a very versatile player. It must be said when he represents England. He has played at left back before. He has played inverted right back. He has the football intelligent to play multiple zones, but he is much more in that kind of physically imposing fullback mode 
uh, uh, Kyle Walker, my famous comparison, is a more technical Kyle Walker. That is the first thing that I've always described uh, Brooke Nordenkopf, and he can do that. The, the issue I feel is he doesn't have um, enough of a consistent first touch, not because of ability, but because he does have a bit of that lazy bug about him where he is inconsistent with his actions, which is something that he does need to work on and he does need to improve. Something interesting, um, I suppose there is a rule with fullbacks, or certainly there was a rule maybe until the sort of the, the fullback revolution happened, was that fullbacks were often, what was that thing that uh, Jamie Carragher said, you're either, you're either a failed winger or a failed centre-back. And, yes. you know, it, he is definitely the, 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 the first, you know, in terms Before. of, I'm not saying he's a, he's a failure as a winger, but he, you know, I, I do think, uh, I, I watched an interview with him with on the Beautiful Game podcast and he said he used to be a striker. He used to score like 50 goals a season or something and then they moved mm. him back. Um, and it's also interesting that he's been playing wing back. He's been given the number seven shirt and the number 10 shirt out on loan. You know, small things, but it just shows you how people are seeing him, right? So how do you think Arteta will see him? And how do you think Arteta might be picturing using him because there is definitely a space in this team for a right-sided uh defender i suppose with more of a uh a thrust down the right-hand channel uh more someone who can um you know ben white i don't want to criticize ben white anyway i think ben white is an extraordinary player but just a different profile from ben white um do you think that might work in his favor you know we were talking before um off air about how often, how, how often youth, youth um, situations are about timing, you know, and I was saying about Smith Rowe. Smith Rowe is an extraordinary talented football player and he was, I think he was always going to get to the top. However, he also had a big slice of luck in that moment where he, um, uh, when he came in on Boxing Day in 2020. So do you think that worked in his favour with Norton Cuffey, that he is a different profile to, to White and he might be cooked, uh, he might be brooked, or do you think he's, um, do you think he's a little bit off no, I, I believe very strongly in Bruckner and Cuffey, and I have for a while. And even with uh, Ivan Fresneda links, I even think it makes more sense. These these would be your perfect, one being an inverted role, one being an overlapping role. And you get a complementary of a variety of profiles here. Um, uh, I think that Brook, it, he, he has the opposite problem to a Ben White, where I think physically... There's no match. He probably could out-physically uh, match Ben White even right now. It's the technique. It, it, it's it's the decision-making. In terms of an anticipation, he's he's got phenomenal um, mobility, and he's got a phenomenal uh, kind of way to run with the ball. You can't shake him off it. He is one of those players, if you give him two yards to dribble, you're not getting it off him. Uh, you know, that you could be 21, 28. You're just not doing that. Now, the little bits of play where he's receiving off his center back, by the way, as a third center back, he can do it, but he needs to iron out those inconsistencies in his game. And that that would be something that's opposite to a Ben White or even an Ivan Fresneda, whose benefit is that. Like, they're more kind of inverted fullbacks that prefer to play in midfield that, you know, can overlap, can provide, uh, you know, a, a thrust, but it's not their primary uh, strength. And that would be Brook. It's just the opposite with him, you know. I think he would struggle a little bit as a third uh, center back, uh, and, and he would have to learn that part of the game a bit more. But in terms of providing a thrust and a different profile at right back, he is exactly that kind of uh, player that you you would think. And especially if we're going to be going more towards instances of attacking with six channels, or even looking to get Bakayo in that fourth channel, like we've talked about on the main pod, 
you need a right back that's able to provide that dynamic overlap, and Brooke is your man. He is, again, a more technical Kyle Walker for me. He's one of the best transition control fullbacks when he's fully grown because of that dominant physicality. Okay. Let's do the final of the uh, 19-year-old group. We're about to be halfway through. Zach Orr. Talk to me. Yeah, and Zach Zach Orr is uh, he's an interesting uh, one because I feel as though he's a center back. So we've got another defender. For those of you who are wondering if Halen can produce those, we can. We're doing a bit more. Um, and uh, he, he's a very tall uh, center back, um, and he's extremely composed in possession. The way that he can uh, receive under pressure and create angles from center back is uh, phenomenal. Um, he he did at times kind of struggle uh, for injury um, in, in, the, in the last couple of years, but he is somebody that you know is is a ball dominant center back. Um, I, I think he is more technician than um, aggressor or lion. He's more William Saliba than he is Gabrielle. If you're looking for a profile, um, but I, I think Zach Awe is also somebody that's got an amazing leadership potential within the group, and so he he is definitely somebody that is a, a technical um, center back that you know I I don't know if he has the ability to be an elite center back in terms of the names that we've made, but I look at kind of that third or fourth center back role that you know every good top six team needs, and I really see Zach Awe filling that in in terms of potential down the line. Um, I, I don't know if he's a starting center back in a top six, but for me, he is a very adequate backup um, to a, a strong pair, which is something that we might need down the line because uh, we're, we're set with William Saliba and Gabrielle for what seems like the next five, six years. Uh, I think Zach Awe would come in and, in theory, replace a, a Rob Holding type of role very well. Um, if you're asking him to... Uh, to become a starting center back at a top six club. I think he needs to become a bit more aggressive and a bit more sure in his defending instincts uh, to do that. But in terms of his in-possession traits, he's probably one of the better center backs we have in the academy for bringing the ball out the back. And he is an excellent leader um, in his age group. He's massive. He's huge. (laughs) Yes, he is very big. (laughs) He is massive. Um, Where do you see him going then? Like... It feels like he's not quite cooked. He, no. Um, but I think he is too cooked for youth football. Um, he is definitely one of those players that, uh, you know, I think is beyond this level. He deserves a championship loan himself. Um, I, I, I think that uh, he needs to come into his own a bit and uh, kind of break out. Right now, he's too comfortable, I think, at Arsenal. Um, I, I do think that we need to send him out on loan. Um, and, and try to challenge him a bit more in that physical battle, and that's why I selected the championship. Or, um, look, if you want to go crazy and do another League One loan, that is something that could benefit potentially a Zach Awe, because I do see his, his physical instincts is something that I want to develop a bit more on. I think technically you're not going to teach him too much. He's very calm under pressure, but I, I, I do want him to be tested against people that are going to throw an elbow into and make him move. Um, and, and that's something that he can improve on. So the championship or league one is something of a loan that I would actually be looking for with uh, Zach Hall. Just watching some highlights of him, and uh, yeah, even under twenty three, he's just physically, he's just beyond it. it it's tricky yeah. for some players, isn't it? Because they get stuck in that sort of slightly liminal space between not quite being ready for first team football, but um, and men's football, but not quite being sort of sort of being too too far gone for uh for youth football and it's a it's a tricky space to be in mm-hmm. um 
Okay, let's get on to the 18-year-old group. Uh, Sajo Jr. Oh, jeez, Dad, not the car again. Oh, happens all the time with old Betsy. Have you checked out Carvana yet? They have thousands of cars for under $20,000. But do those thousands of cars have personality like old Betsy? Betsy's held together by tape. And there are raccoons living in the engine. It's a family car. Uh, there are flames on the hood. Ah, custom paint job. No, Dad, the car's on fire. How many cars did you say Carvana had? Visit Carvana.com to shop thousands of cars for under $20,000. We'll drive you happy at Carvana. Yeah, he, he is an extremely exciting player and a very uh, versatile uh, type of forward. He can play in a, a every single role kind of in the front line. He can play nine winger both sides. He's got phenomenal ball striking. Um, and uh, he, he's very, uh, he's quite ambipedal. And I don't use that word lightly. Like I think he is very competent both feet. Um, and he's got excellent finishing and ball striking both feet. The one thing that I would say kind of with uh, Sejo Jr. is he's got an excellent ability to combine in tight spaces. But I, I don't know if he's got the same explosion that some of the other talents we've seen over long distances do and so there are times that I prefer him to be a bit more central so you can maximize that kind of ball striking that he has in close combination play because he does like to spin players um, and he does have a really good ability to hold off markers as a winger which you may not know from his size because he is again uh, quite small, says the man who is short himself, but he isn't the tallest of forwards. Uh, but he does have another physical side to him, once again, that he does like to hold off his markers and kind of explode into space. That's the type of player he has. And if if I'm repeating myself, it's because Hayland has really developed these kind of physical forwards um, that, you know, have a little bit of physical first kind of technique, and then they like to work on a little bit more of their ball striking. But, I mean, I think he's got... Uh, a very interesting profile. I don't know what his level could be. He is younger, and as we go younger, by the way, I'm going to start to question my projection because he is so young. There's a lot he could be. Um, and I think right now, he's still establishing him himself in the U23s. I don't think he's ready for a loan. I think he needs to play again in the U23s because this is his first season as a regular for them. And he was cheated of a, of a relationship um, with kind of the striker because he is nominally more of a winger um, and with Kayon Edwards out he's, he kind of filled in in the striker role which isn't his primary position um, so I, I do think that he in, in the future needs another season of U23s before we consider a, a, a loan for him yeah he's not particularly hyped I've, I've heard his name but I've not, not seen him very much and I'm watching him now and he's a nimble man He's really nimble mm -hmm. and he once he picks up the ball, he's got a real sort of energy and and yeah, you're right, he's got that ability to just hold off a marker and it's it's almost like he's running a slightly his legs are moving quicker than everyone else's somehow. It's it's sort of He can he's, change he's, gears really quick. Yeah, he's like he's really got it. And I think I think the fact that he is small means he can kind of sort of jink round people and sort of get past people quite quite quickly and quite easily it's, it feels and he's got quite good close control I haven't, I haven't watched much of him I'll, I'll, I'll keep an eye out for him yeah he, he's exciting he, he's definitely a tricky winger um and, and I, I love his versatility again like he could be a striker fully uh, I just think that we have better striking prospects than him which is the trouble but he, he is somebody that you could see in that kind of lane lane four uh, you know, area yeah. uh, who who is very close to goal. Uh, he he's quick footed and he's quick um to recognize space. 
I think that's one of his biggest strengths. Um, you know, like we talked about him being very quick to change gears, but I think Sejo Jr. is very intelligent about where to attack space, and he recognizes that quite well, and he's really ruthless with it. And I think him being so two-footed really opens uh, kind of a, a clean slate for where you could use him. In my mind right now, he strikes me very much as the Welbeck opportunity where he could be a very versatile <laughs> bench option. Could he be something more? And is he Welbeck necessarily? People will maybe shock at that comparison. No, it's not his play style, but it's more what he offers and his versatility. He's probably one of the most versatile players we have in the youth right now. Uh, clearly a better winger than he is striker, but put him anywhere and Sejo Jr. will affect play. Yeah. Um, there are other players right now that 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 feels right. Yeah, I, I think I suppose maybe he he's slightly a victim of that thing of there just feels like a huge stable of of Halen sort of forwards, which you know it's, it's none of their fault. It's not necessarily a comment on their yeah. quality, but you know just that sort of John Jules, Keon Edwards, Sajo Junior. You know, I'm sure you've you've got names and names and names, but you know it just feels like there's a lot of guys who are kind of you know nine slash out wide who can sort of play anywhere who are quite versatile and you know look pretty good and on on the comps and, and i guess maybe there's a sort of a um a nice stable of them coming through now which which maybe maybe won't benefit him necessarily but it gives me a vibe of sort of will sneak up on us like might be involved in like a league cup game gets you know comes on because someone's injured and gets two assists or something that that sort of profile that sort of like oh, okay all right i see you like not necessarily the most hyped mm. but might end up having quite a good career very much so i i would put give him the esr tag somebody that always did excellent in the academy but maybe wasn't the superstar but could prove to be extremely effective why i'll give you three traits the close control the ability to really change gears and that ball striking both feet that is a forward efficiency monster. Um, and so I, I, I think that's incredibly useful. We see what that is like grown out in a Trissard. I don't think he is quite Trissard yeah. in profile, but he will give you very similar effectiveness in the final third. Yeah, but you know, if, and you're right with to use that comparison. And the reason Trissard's probably here, you know, people say versatility is a curse, but I think in a way we're moving towards that kind of numberless, positionless-ish system you know, players like this are, are really, really useful. So yeah, definitely one to watch. Interesting. I, I, to be honest, I hadn't really clocked him much. Someone I had clocked, Lino Sousa, uh, left back, someone who mm. feels like the sort of the moment everyone goes, okay, well, we're going to have to get rid of Tierney and Tavares. And goes, well, we've got Lino Sousa and I'm convinced no one's watched him. Um, but uh, you have watched him. So tell me about him. Yeah. So um, really quite excited when we poached him from West Brom. Um, and no, not just to, to go into my, uh, you know, banks of youngsters that, uh, that I love poaching. But um, I, I think Lino Sousa, he is a very weird player to watch. What do I mean by that? If you were to see his frame, you would assume, uh-oh, another Brook Norton Cuffey. Because um, he's big. He's got a big frame to him. But he's very much the opposite. He is very technical. If Brook is the sledgehammer, Lino Sousa is the brain. Um, and what I mean by that is he's definitely got that ability to have an inverted role, but he has got every cross in his locker, whether that's a half space cross, whether that's dropping it far post with excellent backspin. He is an extremely technical fullback. Um, and what I think is really exciting people when you talk about uh, his ability on the touchline is 
he has an ability to create separation. He is no slouch physically. It, it's just, I think for his frame, he can learn to be a bit more aggressive. I think he can at times learn his positioning. Um, a bit more touchline seems to be worse than it is on the inside. He's definitely somebody that's more comfortable uh, touching the ball and, and, and being a part of play. Um, so when people talk about a Zinchenko role, he gives you kind of the best of both worlds of a Kieran Tierney in theory, but as well as a Zinchenko where you've got somebody that likes to touch the ball that can deliver excellent crossing ability from any area of the pitch. Um, the one thing that you probably need to work on with Lino Sousa is being aggressive um, and kind of uh, working on that positioning uh, sense because there are times that he can lose his marker. Um, but for, for the most part, he's in a very intelligent fullback. Um, and, and he is somebody that likes to operate in midfield and deliver those kind of half-space crosses on a dime. I think anybody that's seen glimpses of Lino Sousa can see that that crossing ability is something that's out of this world. And it really can happen from inside, outside. Um, and he has every type of cross on the locker. So what do I mean by that? On the dribble, he's excellently proficient at finding a cutback. But at the same token, he can have a beautifully lofted ball back post that is uh, accurate um, and struck cleanly and through where it's not relying on backspin. So he, he is very interesting um, as a fullback, but very different to uh, Brook. Again, if I describe Brook as the hammer, Sousa might be uh, the parchment paper, the very more intelligent kind of footballer. Mm. Yeah, I like the look of him. I really like the look of him, especially at the age he is. It's, it's a really interesting profile and something. There's a lot of growth potential there. I think um, something I like about him is... is Something Zinchenko does is he's always got his hips to play. He's always got. He's always looking forward. He's always trying to play through the lines, and Souza has that as well. And that sort of rolling across the ball with the with his um, with his studs and that kind of like just that ability to. It feels like he's very secure in possession. Um, it's an interesting one as well because he, I possibly he might be, you know, right time, right place, right guy. Um, it feels like you know if we're looking through that list of the guys that we've spoken about so far. I don't think Oconquo's. I, I don't. I can't see that happening anytime soon for him, just because of Ramsdale. I think Patino. You know, it looks like we're trying to add in the in the midfield in the summer again. I'm not ruling any of these guys out. Norton Cuffy maybe, but again, like he's not going to jump in straight away. But Lino Souza feels like someone who could potentially be on our bench next season, and it would make a lot of sense considering where we're at with the, with our sort of left back profiles and the profile that he is. Um, do you buy that, or am I chatting shit? No, I buy that. I think he is too good for the 23s. And I think he replaces Tavares in squad space, like immediately. Um, and he is probably one year too short to be backup. That's the one thing that even when we've discussed the guarantee possibility of a sale, it's what's held me back is because I think that Lino Sousa would benefit from a cup run for sure. Um, but he isn't quite ready if you said, Lino Sousa, I'm relying on you for 20 games in the season. I I'm not ready to make that claim quite yet. Um, could he come in and, and close out games, offer us a, an, an opportunity to see something new? For sure, he could, but he's not quite ready from a positional sense and even from a, a kind of an understanding of the system quite yet to, to be that backup for sure. He still is a year away from me. I don't see him far, though, and I will say I don't think he ever goes really on loan because I think it's somebody that Mikel really likes and, and I think he's somebody that, you know, you slow cook with the U21s, but with first-team training, as well as cup appearances. And he takes that route a bit. Mm, yep. He looks comfortable coming inside. 
It's an interesting profile. Uh, let's move to our final three. Uh, 17-year-old, is it Amario or Amaro Cozio Dubri? Amario. Um, been on the bench for Arsenal uh, a number of times this season already. Feels like somebody's quite close to the group. Doesn't necessarily mean he's going to have his breakthrough anytime soon. But at 17 years old, to be uh, rated in the way that he appears to be by Arteta is a, is a big deal. Yeah, I I love Amario Cozio Dubri. I've been... He is probably the U18 that I've been the most excited about. You know, I've tried to uh, paint a profile of a lot of players, but Amario is somebody that's close to my heart. I've really identified him uh, when he was a lot younger in the academy. I told everybody, look, this is the guy that will come to deputize for Saka. Please keep an eye out for him. He is incredible. Uh, what are you getting with uh, Cozier Dubier? He is extremely diminutive. He is small, but he's quite possibly the most technical player that we have at Hale End. Um, he is incredibly um, competent dribbling. Um, he gives you very much that kind of Bernardo Silva vibe uh, about him where he can roll contact. Um, he's very secure dribbling and he has a lot of wow factor in terms of the variety of his dribble. One thing that I've also kind of predicted is he has an opportunity to play inside. I make the Bernardo Silva comparison because very much like Bernardo Silva who started as a right winger but then moved inside as an interior I can really see that as a potential with Amario Cozier Dewberry. Why? Because he's got excellent uh, diligence off the ball, um, and he's very strong despite being small in contact. He really rolls contact beautifully well. He's got an excellent brain uh, for where to pass and, and for attacking space. Um, and just technically, he is probably one of the better technical players that we have in Hale End. The, the one thing that I would probably think he needs to work on a bit is he he probably needs to be a bit more secure in his ball striking, um, and as well as his floated crosses into the back post. Um, I I think that there are times where he doesn't get enough mustard on his shots, and he doesn't line himself out properly in, in terms of scoring goals. I think he can be a bit more ruthless at that. But he is learning to attack the back post quite a lot, and he has been a star for the U21s this season. Um, and there's a big reason why Mikel has had him in training. Um, and he is so young. Uh, I mean, I think when you have a look at the prospects that we all get excited about, they've been 19, 18. Amario is 17 years old, and he is already uh, kind of the guy for the U21s. Um, do, do I think he needs a loan? No. Amario Cozier Dewberry is one of those people that I believe has a Bakayo Saka-esque trajectory in him. I think he will be evaluated in preseason, and I think him and Marquinhos will battle it out for... Um, kind of that deputy um, and I do think he would be ready he is somebody for me that is incredibly talented that offers a lot of what Saka uh, can do um, technically but also physically he is no slouch he is not a lazy player he's he works himself quite well um, he almost gives me this Thomas Lamar-esque um, kind of uh, vibe where he is he is a right winger but he really is a 10 in how he views the game he's so technical um, he doesn't operate off the left like a, a Thomas Lamar does. He is very much a right-sided player. Again, a left-footed, right-sided player, which is gold dust for people these days. Um, but I do have a feeling he has an opportunity to play as an interior down the line because he's got such an amazing footballing brain and he's so 
uh, aggressive in those first five yards. He really can turn a gear, but he's so incredibly technical. Mate, watching him now, he's extraordinary. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think you can ignore this kind of talent. Obviously, he played against uh, Leon and Juventus, yeah. as did Luna Sousa, um, and we saw him for the first team. So again, you know, someone that Mikel is clearly uh, keeping an eye on. Um, you can't ignore this type of talent, mate. And, and, and sort of watching him riding challenges convinces me. Because I think what can happen is you can have all the talent in the world on the ball, but if you can't hold on to it, it, it kind of doesn't matter. But he's got that he's got that ability to cut inside. He's got that kind of Martinelli-esque straight line running power, which is really, really nice. Um, mate, he looks good. He looks good. I think you're right. This could be... And, and, and you know what I love about him? You know what I love about him? Is he's got a thirst for the defensive side of the game. Like, he truly relishes the challenge. Like, he, he is a diminutive player. But he loves to get about. He will put himself about and he will smash into you. And that's what I love to see. You know, when, when I see young wingers that have all the skill in the world, a big reason why I predicted Amari Hutchinson, by the way, to not be huge was I don't feel he did well in contact. That is not the case with Amari Kosier dewberry He is very much a Saka clone in that he will roll contact and much bigger people can't rob the ball off him because he's got such an excellent low center of gravity, but he also knows how to use his body so beautifully well. Um, I think he is somebody, again, he shined this year for the U21s, but he is a surprise package. For people that don't know him, get on it. Try to find your tapes of Mario Cozier Dubiri because you're going to see him very soon in preseason, in my opinion. Yep, I think you're right. I think of all the players that we've we've spoken about today thus far, Talent wise for his position, he's certainly up there, man. Like he's he's really and I I just like his desire. He looks, you know, it's a bit it's a bit passion, desire, Brexit, um, Sean Gregory Deitch. But um no, it, there's a sort of uh there's a sort of not anger, but a kind of just passion for ball in him that you can just tell in the way he sort of carries himself and the way he the way he plays, which is I think like yeah, again, that's all absolute love. Um right, let's close out the show with the two probably most talked about academy players, Ethan Januari and Miles Lewis Skelly, the love of your life. Yes. Talk to me about these two. They're, they're special players, man. Like it, it doesn't take a uh, phenomenal tactical brain to, to have a look at how young these guys are and how highly rated they are. Um, I will echo what, uh, was said inside the Hale End documentary where they are possibly some of the brightest talents that Hale End has ever produced, period. That is how high the praise will go for these two. Um, they are different. They are built different. These are two physical powerhouses. You would never guess that they're 16. You would think these guys are 19, like both of them, in terms of just their frame is the first thing. Um, when you're looking at Ethan Nguyenary, you're definitely talking about a final third operator, in my opinion. Right now, he has a, a really beautiful ability to contribute and build up. He is just so far ahead of the game in terms of his football intelligence that he drops deep, picks up the ball, and sets the tempo of it. But I think um, the the best thing that you can describe Ethan Winnery is, is his balance um, and technique kind of under pressure, like that uh, kind of ability to shift weight and always... Uh, he almost has that Ozil-esque ability where he makes the final action perfect. Ozil never screwed up a final action. Ethan Winnery will never screw up a final action. Like, he has that kind of aura that he, when he picks up the ball, you just know he will hurt you. And um, he 
for me, isn't quite as much uh, somebody that we would use deeper. We would use him more acutely in the final third, but he's got such excellent ball striking. And again, his ability to receive, turn under pressure is incredible. Lay off to his teammates. He is just truly uh, a final third kind of um, magician. He really is. Um, and uh, I think that um, w- when you look at it, the only thing that I would probably critique with Ethan Winery is his pressing off the ball isn't diligent. I think he can roll contact really, really well, um, but he doesn't have the same thirst um, for winning second balls, let's say. Um, that is something that he will have to work on. But again, it's another one of those players that you're never going to teach technically what to do. Um, and what he's doing at this level is insane. Um, but uh, maybe I'll let you ask a question because I'll save Miles as last because I will say Miles for me is the better talent. Um, you know, he's more of a unicorn for me when we do describe his profile. Uh, but I did kind of want to get Ethan out of the way first before I talked about my, my baby Miles. What, what is Ethan? Cause I, you know, I, I'm seeing a lot of, I'm seeing a lot of interesting qualities and I'm, you know, from what I've seen, from what, you know, as, as I say, I'm watching now from what I've, from what I've heard from the clips that I've seen from the games that I've seen him play for Arsenal when he came off of Brentford or some Juventus, blah, 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 blah. I've seen, you know, uh, not enough to pass great judgment, but en- enough mm. now. I can't work out what he is. For me, he's a final third player. Um, I think he's so technically beyond his years that he's been used deeper. I don't think that's the best use of his qualities. And his, and he, his certain, his, his, de- his defensive deficiencies for me uh, mean that if you were to place him deeper, you, you would lose a lot of what makes him great. Now, could he be a Verratti type of player that is somebody that's so comfortable playing deep and dictating play? Sure, he could. Um, but um, I, I do think that you get the most impact from Ethan being in zone 14 as much as possible to hurt teams because he he makes the right decision every time and, and you need that in, in, the, in that type of player. So for me, he's more of a free eight. Um, he, he's kind of one of three or a number 10. Um, in my mind, um, you know, does he have an ability to play deeper? He could. He's very much an eight ten, um, so he does have that flexibility and that versatility. Um, but if we're going to maximize, in my opinion, um, you know, look, Miles and him make the perfect eight pairing mate. Like in the, like, if I could cook them up in a lab, I typically have a more attacking eight and an eight that's more box to box that is a more defensive Hoover. And Miles and Ethan complement each other beautifully like this. Um, in that sense. I don't think either uh, are necessarily an anchor. Uh, Miles maybe could play an anchor more than Ethan, but Ethan for me strikes as somebody that's a middle third dominant player and a final third dominant player. Um, he can have qualities in build-up, but I don't think that's where he's best used. He was born in 2007. It's just, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it is absolutely ridiculous. ridiculous. And uh, he scored uh, two for uh, England under 17 yesterday. Sounds like we're struggling to get him tied down to a new deal. Do you know anything about that? Do you have any instincts about that? Um, I think uh, a lot has been made of the fact that, you know, his birthday was literally three days ago um, and he couldn't sign a contract. Um, And so I I do think the difference is Miles had his birthday a lot earlier and so he could sign a contract. Um, There's always a risk, I will say, of losing youngsters, but I... Uh, my instinct is that he stays. He's a lot more quiet of a character than Miles in terms of uh, a little bit more introverted. 
Um, and I can't see a reason why he would go to Chelsea or City or another academy. If you're looking at a, a Premier League team, uh, forget the fact that we gave him his debut, by the way. So young. For, forget that pathway and the history for a second. But if you're looking at trajectory about where you see yourself in the next five years, um, I think that there really is no better project than Mikel Arteta's Arsenal, who is leading the youngest team to a potential Premier League trophy um, and shown a, a willingness to use them. But also, when I look at City, Chelsea, the competition, let's say, how many of their team are uh, academy graduates? And how many of them have a history of that? I don't know. Yeah. We're talking about the club I, that I, gave Cesc Fabregas a chance, you know, in the events. I, I, I feel like if Nunnery goes... Is it Nguyenary or Nyanweri? I can't, I can never work it out. I go Nguyenary. <laughs> okay. If Ethan goes, I would seriously question his, uh, who's giving him advice. And it would feel yeah. like the same person who gave Ainsley Maitland-Niles his, his advice. Because mm. as you say, it's like, where, what, why? Like you you literally were given, you're the youngest Premier League player ever. So it's been shown that you, there is a pathway here for you. That felt like a, significant moment i wonder whether that that was a sort of a, a bargaining tool or whatever i mean obviously shows that Arteta at least thinks he's worth something so you know it's it, it's interesting there but you know it just feels it feels a little bit bizarre if he goes somewhere else because you sort of think hang on a minute are you not seeing what's in front of you like surely every 16 year old 17 year old right now is looking at arsenal going that's the place i want to be because they're giving their talent chances and they're about to enter into a number of competitions where they're going to need me well, I, I think what I would argue, mate, is look at what happened with Amari Hutchinson the year before. Uh, the star-studded name of the academy was Amari Hutchinson. Now, I don't agree, but that was the star, right? He moved to Chelsea. Um, how's he getting on? <laughs> they signed about does... 14 wingers ahead of him now. Yeah, well, exactly. And, you know, I, I again, um, look, Pep will love him. He, he will. That That is a worry. Um, with Bernardo Silva potentially leaving, like, sure. I, I can see City as a, as a potential rival. Um, but w when you have a look at kind of uh, who who between Pep and Mikel is more willing to use youngsters, that, that should tell a story in itself, no? Um, you know, in terms of who, who could probably give you the most first-team minutes quickly. Um, and look, we, we do have a plug, by the way, of eights. It's why I keep saying I don't think we signed an eight, um, you know, this... This summer, I, I really think looking ahead, our academy is stacked with them. And beyond it, you've got Odegaard, Emile Smith-Rowe, Fabio Vieira right now, Shaka. Um, so there is a, a transition that we're about to go through, but also B, we have a lot of options there. Um, so for me, I'm with you. I probably would question the mentality if he was to leave. I feel as though Arsenal have the best project for him. Um, but for me... That's where my gut feeling, I still think he stays. I've got this uh, opinion that I, I, I believe that he stays. And a lot of this has been media attention because he literally turned 16 three days ago and he couldn't sign. <laughs> so he, he physically couldn't. Come on then, let's talk about your son. My boy. Um, look, uh, I love Miles Lewis Kelly. I, I have said it really, before, mate? even but. <laughs> Um, look, even before the Ethan business happened where he got his debut, I was on Twitter saying, I think we've got a better talent than Miles Lewis-Skelly, um, who is more is less well-known. But I think the reason I put Miles Lewis-Skelly above Ethan Winery is 
we're talking about a different level of physicality here, and we're talking about a different uh, uniqueness of profile. This is a guy who gives me Musa Dembele vibes, um, and I don't say that lightly. And I hated the fact that Musa Dembele played for Spurs because he was one of my favorite players um, as a profile, just analyzing as a central midfielder. This is a boy um, who whose ability to kind of open his legs and really charge through midfield gives you that Yaya Toure dominance. He's got the frame to do it. He's got phenomenal tight space control. And his dribbling is some of the best that you'll see in the academy. His ability to really change gears. He he plays. He's a 16-year-old that is like a Yaya Toure when he faces adults. And, you know, I think the most exciting thing is everyone has seen his solo runs. I don't have to talk about his dribbling competency in terms of how he switches gears. But he does this against adults. He doesn't care when he faces kind of Ipswich Town, when he faces adult opposition, he moves players. And that ability to never lose the ball, by the way, and drive and really get your team up the pitch is invaluable uh, for me. And one thing that doesn't get talked about enough is his passing range. He's got a stupid passing range. He can go short, medium, long. He can switch on a dime. It's why at times he's played a six, by the way. You know, he is somebody that is a six-eight in terms of an anchor, and the reason that he's played as a six is because he's just so dominant in terms of his ability to receive on the half turn, but he's got that passing range in him um, that makes it seem like he can control a game. But if you're asking me what I feel his best position is, again, I feel that he is a defensive eight, and much in the same way that Spurs used Musa Dabele, you ideally have Ethan and, Ethan and Miles as your twin eights, and you've got a beautiful young anchor that can sit down there and let those boys do it, because um, this, for me, is, is somebody that we can't lose. He's a midfield general, and uh, I'm really happy that we've signed him on to terms because, for me, I feel as though that there will always be a young superstar that is a playmaker. And maybe this is a bit um, facetious of me, but I think there's always an Arda Guler, by the way, another young mercurial kind of 10. There's always going to be a playmaking 10. And so when I look at the rarity of profile between Ethan and Miles, Miles's profile doesn't come along very often. Like one of those midfield generals can that is an all-phase midfielder, but that can control the tempo from a deeper area. That's gold dust. Like people look for that, you know, once every six to eight years. And so um, that for me is the biggest difference between the two. Miles is more physical, and also I will say the leadership potential. Miles is a much more involved person in the community. He is definitely somebody that, you know, the youngsters look up to despite being the youngest person in the team. Um, but he's loud in the dressing room and he is a lot more certain of himself. And, you know, he takes it upon himself to get involved in the Arsenal community. So, like, I love that type of leadership profile as well. Um, so that that's why, for me, there he, he is a slightly better talent than Ethan because he's got a more rare profile, but also mentally, I feel... Ethan's that mercurial talent that's introverted. Again, I reference an Ozil in a sense of he's a freak, but he, he isn't a loud freak. And you may need to build around him to really see the beauty in it. Miles' talent slaps you in the face and says no matter what team you're on, no matter what situation, goal conceded, goal ahead, I'm going to run through you and I'm going to do it now. And that excites me. Um, and especially somebody who's humble. Um, and who is really involved in the community like that says love to me and so i love you miles <laughs> he's listening yeah i i think what you said about you know kind of unicorn profiles it's like someone like saka 
there's a reason this guy was destined to the to to, to come in and and do what he's done because he is yeah. a unicorn. He's a complete unicorn at, at, at wing. It's so hard to find someone who can do what Bukayo Saka can do. And so, yeah, it's great that we see he signed up for signed for Arsenal, signed terms, and and he's really exciting. I suppose my question to close the pod out, George, is it feels like there's a kind of hail end revolution going on. It feels like there's a real yes. uh, high volume of extremely exciting talents coming out of hail end at the moment. Now, I want to preface that or sort of counter that by saying. That could be the sort of ubiquity of social media that we're constantly seeing. You know, this guy's the next big player, this guy's the next big player. But it feels like every time, every couple of weeks, I see another person who's like, oh, this this guy is the next big thing. And you watch them and you go, fucking hell, they are they are they look really good. And you never know. And as you said at the top of the pod, you go, you go, oh, it's never linear. The people that you expect to go right to the top sometimes do, sometimes they fall off and you never see, hear hear about them again. You know, some sometimes they take a year out of football and you know, they're young people, their lives are are changeable, right? So I think uh it's it's probably a difficult thing to answer, but like, is there any one thing? I suppose the things that I'm thinking of are per Mertesacker's uh, involvement as an as an academy coach and the principles that he's put in. I suppose I'm thinking about the 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 pathways that it has be, have clearly been set up and the sort of inspiration of that. But that's only really been the last three years. These things are. It feels like this has been going on for. Well, it had to have been going on for for a little bit longer because you know these guys didn't just pop up three years ago. They've been coming through the academy for a while. So, yeah, I mean, what's your perspective on that? Uh, well, um, we uh, completely revolutionized our academy system, mate. With Sacker, right and the uh the people that we have selected in terms of guiding this generation with marcel lucas and defining an arsenal way of play back in 2018 sacking all the scouts completely ripping the rot and then recruiting very intelligently in terms of our um our head of id talent lee heron was recruited from reading fc and a very prestigious uh not only just academy but you know in terms of uh you know the background that lee heron had we chose very smart minds dan machichi and kevin betsy who was only with us for a year was snapped up by clubs um and they came through the england fa and we invested in coaches mate i think uh for me the biggest difference that arsenal have done in comparison to kind of other people when you start to look at kind of what player we've recruited is we have found um we have found a way of playing through Mikel that filters down to the academy we have a uniform way of thinking and everybody is pulling in the same boat for the style of play that they want the players to achieve and I think that's extremely important when you're talking about youth coming through a club if they have a uniform way of playing not only is the adaptation quicker in terms of the system but it makes it a lot more clear about what you're trying to look for as a coach, as a scout, in terms of building a team, and you have a very clear identity, which I don't think is the case in a lot of youth programs around the country. Um, and immediately, that probably stands out where I don't remember a recent example of a top six club going through such a cleanse, but also a cleanse in outlook, which I think is very key. You're always going to have a Francis Kajigao, a, uni a unicorn scout, let's say, uh, a unicorn eye. You're always going to have that story at every single club. What you don't have necessarily is maybe that clear definition of what makes a youth player at a specific youth club. There is at Arsenal. Um, per Mersacker outlines it, you know, in terms of what makes an Arsenal youth player in terms of his four pillars. He's very, very clear about his key performance data about what makes an Arsenal youth player. And I think that clarity 
in, in philosophy, um, but also in terms of what they preach, makes it very easy to recruit top staff to your uh, position. And, and again, I think Lee Heron, Luke Hobbs, who is again head of academy coaching, these are two uh, very, very intelligent minds that were well thought of in different areas of domestic football, but were recruited from very high functioning um, kind of uh, recruitment centers in Reading that we took advantage of and we did poach. And we've been doing that a lot. Again, Dan Machichi, Kevin Betsy, they're not with us anymore, but it was the same philosophy. We scouted coaches uh, that had as, just as much potential as the kids we wanted to entrust them with. And, and we fit them in a plug-and-place model that now, even if they are moved on, we are developing our own coaching models. You know, with Jack, I think that was very calculated by Per. Um, with Cesc Fabregas coming back, like these are minds that are intelligent minds but they're not uh just given the reins because of the past performances they must meet certain requirements about understanding how we want to play and and because we have a very clear way of playing and, and i think that's what makes the difference when you're talking about why we've suddenly got this boom of hail end yeah i think that's really well outlined and i think it sort of mirrors in the first team is it's a similar thing of going okay if someone comes in and goes this is how arsenal play and not some vague like oh we just want to keep the balls like no 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 we get our fullbacks and we do this we get our we get our wide players and we do whatever it is however you define it and the specificity then everything can follow after that and it's why you've seen success at, at, at you know clubs on a more international and global scale like Man City and Liverpool getting behind one philosophy with Liverpool and City and and, and it's, I think it's why we're seeing partly why we're seeing success now and I remember seeing an interview with Lucassen where he said something similarly along those lines of you know we want to define the way of playing and I asked 30 people at the club what is the Arsenal way of playing no one could quite define it and I think it is that getting everyone on the same page then you know exactly what you're looking for but you also said about coaches that there's a lot of coaches can go you were caught offside. Don't do that. You need to focus up. You need to play a cleaner pass. They don't say how you can do it. And that's the key thing. That is the key level of information that you want. You want that person who can be, who can explain to you in the same way that Arteta does, supposedly, how and why that situation happened the way it did and what you can do actionable to correct it. There's something in, um, in, in acting actually, which is a kind of a similar principle uh, as we talk about, you know, once you understand football, uh, decent level you and, and anything at a decent level you start to recognize that there are parallels between certain things and i always say a good director gives notes with a triumvirate and that is notes that are on your side that are clear and that are actionable and those so you know for example it's not just like i didn't like what you did there it's hey i'm on your side what you need to do is play a different action or you need to move this thing differently you need to do whatever and it's clear why you're being asked to do that, and it's clear why how that fits into the rest of the rest of the show. And I think that kind of principle <clears throat> of being able to get coaches in, as you say, who who have good brains and have good minds and can can put that information across in a clear, concise but actionable way, is a really underrated thing. And and it, I think it's very easy to to as a coach to say that didn't work out well, boys. You need to focus up or whatever. But having people who can come in and and be clear and 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 intelligent and and concise about what you actually need to do. It's a big it's a big asset. George, that was absolutely an absolute masterclass, my friend. I cannot believe this podcast is going out for free. Frankly, you should have to pay for it, but uh, <laughs> it is what it is. Um, amazing, mate. Amazing. I'm uh, forever blown away. Um, yeah, 
I hope you enjoyed that, listeners. Uh, I certainly did. I certainly learned a lot. I think there's a lot of uh, a lot to be encouraged about, a lot to be excited about, and um, yeah, I look forward to it. Final thing, <clears throat> final thing. You have to pick one player who makes it at Arsenal out of the ten we've discussed. Miles Lewis Kelly, my love. Um, you know, I, I think he is everything I value in um, in the game. Uh, he is uh, definitely somebody that I think if I had to bet my life on a player that will play for the Arsenal foot first team, it would be Miles Lewis Kelly. Um, I've not seen a talent like that come through our academy um, in a while. It, it's something, again, uh, how I see the game is very much uh, defense first, um, technique next. And he is somebody that you don't sacrifice that. He's got equally as good technique as he does uh, brute. He's brain and brawn. Um, and he is also a very humble play, uh, person and a very focused individual that I think has the SACA mentality, which again is something maybe we I tried to highlight in aspects of the profiles that we gave. But I think a leadership profile is one of the most underutilized aspects of youth coaching. And a lot of scouting into targets, by the way, goes into how they act and approach the game. Um, their ability to compartmentalize, their ability to take criticism, their ability to learn, um, to take in information and apply it. Huge aspects that I think Miles Lewis Kelly excels in, and he's a major leader in his age group and above. Um, so when you combine that with the talent, the sky's really the limit for me. Who would you say is the bigger talent? Miles Lewis Kelly or Emmanuel Frimpong? Why do you have to do this to me, mate? Like that's such a tough call. <laughs> right, we'll leave it there. Uh, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you learned something. Uh, and yeah, keep a different knock. We'll see you later. Peace. Thank you so much for listening to the Different Knock and Arsenal podcast. Please hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you're using. If you'd like to support The Different Knock, you can find us on Patreon and buymeacoffee.com. We're on all social media at Diffknock. Thanks 